0: It's past the hour. There we go. Normally, I can blame you all for talking, but I think it was my fault this time. I was over here just a-going. go and... All right. Just let them keep talking for about five more minutes. We'll let them fellowship. Jill's having a good time back there. She's just laughing. Yeah, that's all right. Listen, fellowship is fellowship is why we are here. Big part of it. Well, good morning. How is everybody today? Good, good, good. Uh, what has uh, let's let's start off this morning with a question? Uh, can somebody tell me something that God has done in your life this week? What has God done in your life this week? Yes, ma'am, Laura. See, did what? Start walking again. Good. Give her a clap. That's good. Give God a clap for that. Awesome. Awesome. Anything else? What has God done this week? I know it's I know it's in the morning. It's hard to get the mind kind of waking up. Go ahead. goodness yeah good very good hey would somebody volunteer this morning to say our prayer would, would anybody be willing to write down our prayer list and then say our prayer would you say our, you can do it for us so do, do you mind okay thank you No worries. One thing I've learned about this congregation is that we have tissue everywhere, very strategically planted, so that's very good. All right. Uh, Okay, so what else? What else has God done? Yes, ma'am? Three of our ladies in our congregation are currently out on the walk. Yeah. Penny Lewis,
1: Penny Lewis, and Tiffany, and um, Maxanne. And some of us had the blessing of going and being with them for a short time last night. And it was just beautiful. Uh, It it ministered to me. It uh, just encouraged me. We have such a beautiful community of faith in this area. And it was just beautiful. Um, So many connections. Uh, to other Christians, and it uh, just gives you joy, and it gives you hope, and
0: refreshes your spirit. So, I got a message last night from Tiffany about 2 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Don't ask me why I was up at 2. I'll tell you in a minute. Um, but she said, she said I, I have no words to describe this weekend. She said, but God has been very present, and He's been doing some incredible things in my life. So... Uh, I'm excited about that. I'm very excited about that. That 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 helps me with my 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 sense of sadness this morning because I show up without my wife, and I, I love having my wife with me. So, um, she is she is certainly my rock and uh, certainly my help with five kids at home by myself. <laughs> Shame on you for doing that to me this this early uh, in the game here at Eastside. No, I'm just kidding. We've had a great last few days. I woke up this morning. And the reason why the kids aren't here is because last night Connor couldn't sleep. Hence why I was up at 2 o'clock in the morning. Uh, And woke up this morning and Chloe has a fever of 101.3. So if you would remember Chloe, but most likely she probably got either flu or strep from Caleb last week. So anyway, that and on top of that, me not doing enough laundry to find all the clothes. My children are at home with my oldest son right now. Uh, Daddy totally royally messed up Sunday morning routine. Um, But I was going to try to bring at least three of them. But we're going to have a devotional when we get home. So... Who do we need to be praying about this morning? Yes, ma'am. Uh, my sister parents were real sick. They're in the house but they live in New Brunswick. Okay. And pray for Amanda Martin, my daughter. Amanda Martin. Okay. Good to see you all again. Not you. I'm talking to them. I already know y'all. I'm just kidding. He had his big smile on his face like, he's talking to me. No, I'm <laughs> kidding. I'm kidding. Little humor there. Sorry, I haven't woke up yet, so. Any other prayer requests? Who? Okay. Yeldale. She's a sister to Valerie Barrett, whose husband was a preacher here. Okay. Did you get that? Okay. Anyone else? Barbara Aki had a heart attack, and she's home. Okay. Roxanne. That's right, Jill. I just know that sometimes these kids go into a completely different routine. gets completely changed. Mm-hmm. Making that transition back can be complicated. So. Okay. One or two more? Yeah. I didn't hear you. I'm sorry. Her son-in-law and his family. That's Bo. I need to call him today, actually. It's been about a week since I spoke to him. Not doing well. Okay, that's okay. You don't have to get into it. Okay, we'll follow up with him. Anybody else? Okay. Oh, one. Back. Me. I don't know what it is. Your back is okay. Okay. Did you catch that? Her son and his addiction. Have we heard anything about David? Uh, Alan. Any news on David? Did anybody have any latest updates on David? Yeah. He said that David was battery, still got that respiratory, right. And, he gets out of breath and dizzy from time to time. But okay. Not all the time like was. So he but he's still not there. Okay. So let's continue to remember David in our prayers. Um, it's a good reminder. I followed up with him last week but it's been a while. So let's let's follow up with him this week. Let's encourage him. Let's pray for him. Let's lift up uh, our elder. Okay. Yes ma'am. Casey? Okay. Speaking of, of spring break, uh there's gonna be a lot of travel in this afternoon and this evening Yes. With- so travel mercies, as we say, right? Okay, that's good. All right, Sandy, would you I'd word be honored. us a prayer?
1: Thank you. Holy Thank you. Spirit, please help us and guide our hearts and minds, and help us to align perfectly with you as we pray. Father God, it's good to be alive, and it's good to be in this place. I just, you've poured out some challenges, but you've poured out blessings tremendously, and you are on the throne, and you are at work, and, uh, um, that We know that the devil's a bad, bad devil, but you're a good, good God, and uh, if things have not turned around yet, then it means you're still working on it, and we're going to hand all of these problems over to you and in the meantime we're going to do our best to rejoice and give thanks for the countless blessings we can't even think or name lord we're thankful for our physical families our biological families but a lot of times even better is where we get adopted in to the communities of faith but even better the eternal family and what great rejoicing there will be We rejoice in this beautiful weather. We could use some rain, Lord. We ask you to be with the women on this walk, and we just rejoice that we just hope that they get a little sense of how much God loves them. Lord, you've heard each prayer request, each person, and I know there are many that we are carrying in our hearts too, and we lift them all up to you. We ask for quick healing for Chloe. We lift up uh, Amanda Martin. We lift up uh, Roxy Yeldell as she bat- is battling cancer. We're thankful Barbara Ike has come through her little heart thing, and I thank you that I'm coming through mine. Uh, for the people on spring break, we pray for safe travels and that things will settle down and get back into a routine for the teachers and kids so that they can make the best of every day and learn and uh, just make it a great school year the rest of the year for Pam's son and son-in-law we pray that you bless them and help them we we are so thankful for Juan and his faithfulness his back is hurting but, he's, but he is still here so thank you for that and be with him. Uh, We love David Miller, and we know that you love him even more. And whatever is going on, we know that you are more than able to heal him. We want him back and healthy with us. Lord, we continue to lift up Casey and his precious family, all of his family, and we speak life and healing and blessings. We ask for traveling mercies and protections. Today especially, but in all of our journeys through life. Most of all, we thank you for Jesus. What an amazing gift you have given us. We love you so much, and we thank you. In his
0: name, amen. Amen. Sandy, todah Raba, Thank you. Um So we are embarking on a brand new series that... That I'm entitling Secrets of the Tabernacle Revealed. Uh, a few weeks ago, I had solicited some suggestions from you all, and I fielded a few of those. And <clears throat> one was a suggestion that we look at this thing in the Bible called the Tabernacle. And uh, so I thought we would do that. The Tabernacle has been a study of mine, it's been kind of a, uh, a hobby study, if you will. You know how you, you read the Bible, but then there are certain subjects that are kind of like your hobby. Subjects, if you will. Uh, I've always loved history and archaeology and languages and culture and those types of things. And I've always really loved types and shadows and pictures that the Bible uses to describe things. You see a lot of it, for example, in Bible prophecy. Um, you see a lot of it all through the Scriptures. And, and I find that type of thing very fascinating. You know what I mean? Uh, it, it, it reminds me of what Jesus said a long time ago when He was talking about... What real spiritual perception is like when you when you when you were able to perceive what God's really doing? He says, He says it's like seeing, but it's like really seeing. Does that make sense? It's like hearing, but it's it's really hearing. It's another level of seeing. It's another level of of hearing. L- let me give you an example. A long time ago, um, the people of Israel, when they were wandering in the wilderness, they had no water. Remember this? It was one of the first tests that God gives the people of Israel when He leads them out into the wilderness. And the Bible even says that God does this on purpose. God withholds, um, not to the point of killing, God has no intention of killing His people or, or making them starve to death or go thirsty. But God will absolutely allow uncomfortable circumstances to come into your life for a season so that He can test you, right? So, He can see if your faith, so that you can see if your faith is real, is it growing, and how are you going to respond to God or to other people? So he allows them to go thirsty, and the first thing that they do is what? Remember? Grumble. They grumble and complain. They grumble and complain. Um, and thank goodness we don't deal with that, right? They grumble and complain, grumble and complain. Um, <clears throat> so they grumble and complain. And then God, God tells Moses, he says, I want you to do something, and it's very strange what he tells them to do. He says, I want you to take your staff, And I want you to go over to that, see that really big rock right over there? I want you to take that staff and I want you to what? I want you to strike it. And so he does. And when he strikes the rock, what happens? Water flows out. You ever thought, isn't that a strange story? Let me give you a little hint. Whenever you uncover something in Scripture that sounds strange to you, it's because it is. (laughs) And the reason why God is doing something extraordinary or out of the ordinary is because there is a deeper meaning. Does that make sense? Okay, pause that for a moment, fast forward. So 40, or was it 40 years later? Or is it about midway? I can't remember, but sometime later, sometime later, the the scenario happens again. God withholds. They start becoming thirsty. They start grumbling and complaining. They start crawling out to Moses. Have you led us out here to die? And so what happens? And so God... (coughs) Confers with Moses. Moses confers with God. God tells him, he says, I want you to go to the rock and I want you to what? Speak to it. So Moses says, okay. So he goes out and he goes to the people and he says, you bunch of ungrateful people, do I have to give you water from this rock? And so he strikes it again. Oops. Now you and I, we've grown up with a a view of God that I think, is somewhat colored by modern thinking. Because what God does next with Moses, I think most of us, that would probably bother our sensibilities quite a bit. We would probably say, that's not fair. But what did God do? Because He did not do what God told Him to do and speak to the rock and let water come forth, He says, I'm not going to allow you to go into the promised land. That's a big deal. I mean, this is Moses that that God spent all that time, you know, rearing into the, the royal family of the Egyptians. This is that same Moses that that spent years in education learning how to be a military leader and how to lead people so he could lead the people of Israel out. This is the same Moses that that at 40 years old tried to take matters into his own hands and kill the Egyptian, had to flee to Midian. This is the same Moses that spent 40 years in the the wilderness of Midian, tending to the flocks. This is the same Moses that spent 40 more years dealing with all the grief and the, 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 the stuff of Israel. And now finally they come to the Promised Land and... Moses makes one mistake. Why is God so adamant about this picture that he's creating? Let me give you a hint. Because Jesus in the New Testament is called the rock, is he not? He's the rock. A little bit later on, the Apostle Paul says that the rock followed the people of Israel and led them through the wilderness, and that rock was Jesus Christ. So the picture makes sense. There's two rocks in the Old Testament. The first time the Jews do what to the rock? They strike it. And out flows water. And that's what happened with Jesus, isn't it? Jesus came to his people. He spoke to his people. The people responded by doing what? Crucifying him. And literally on the cross out flowed what? When the Roman centurion hit him in the chest. Water. Do you see the picture? Now, let me set up the second picture. The Bible says there's two comings of the Messiah. The first one has already happened 2,000 years ago. The second one is going to happen when the Jewish people have their backs up against the wall. The, the Bible describes world wars, world wars happening all over the place. It, it describes the Jews being exterminated again, just like in the days of Hitler. And it says that there's, there's going to come a time, this is, this is over in... Um, Zechariah chapter 12, and it says there's going to come a time when, when they're going to cry out for their Messiah. And they're going to come to realize that their Messiah all along was Jesus, Messiah, Yeshua. And they're going to cry out for Him. And Zechariah chapter 12 says, They will look upon Me whom they have pierced. Jesus told the religious leaders, He says, You will not see Me again until you what? Say, speak what? Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. Adonai. Yes. So what's the point there? The first coming, his people will strike the Messiah. The second coming, they will speak to the Messiah. They will implore him to return in the midst of their misery, in the midst of their pain, in the midst when, when, they're, when it looks like their, their life is almost over, they're going to entreat their Messiah. He's going to hear. He's going to respond. And that is what the Bible in the book of Zechariah calls the second coming. Now do you see the picture? God wanted to lay the picture down in the Old Testament that when He comes the first time, He's stricken. When He comes the second time, you're speaking to Him. But see, they messed up the picture. They messed up the picture because they struck the rock twice. They communicated something that God did not want to communicate. And so God said, no, you cannot go into the promised land. Now, um, at any point during this, if you have comments or questions... Stop it right here, just raise your hand okay i don't I don't want to be um <clears throat> the kind of person that just talks and and runs my mouth and, and not give you an opportunity to respond or have some back and forth, so there you go all right Oh, she's going to bring you the microphone.
1: I just have a yeah. question. My daughter does Bible studies at home. yeah, you know she doesn't go to church because Sunday's are her only day off. But anyways, um, she's talking about um, the second coming of Jesus. I mean, um, what is, I'm just confused about all that, you know, about, not about Jesus coming, but what's leading up to his second coming to earth. I'm just a a lot confused.
0: So she's um, very confused about the second coming of Christ. I am. Okay, let uh-huh. me let me resolve that in five minutes. Okay. I'm, that's a joke. It's a really really bad joke. Um, <clears throat> so so let me give you a real short version, like a really really short version, um, because this honestly this could be a no other, this could be a whole other class right here just talking about the last days. Um, ooh, sorry. Um, that was really loud and embarrassing too. Um, the Bible says, Jesus says that, um, that prior to his return, okay, um, there is a season of time called um, the birth pains, okay. And and a, a lot of times we, we've grown up hearing, you know, TV preachers a lot of times, especially Bible prophecy type teachers. Every time there's an earthquake or a war, it's like, yep, here it is, you know. Um, and that's not the case, um, the Bible describes a time period where there's going to be a convergence of a lot of things that will begin to happen. Okay? Wars, rumors of wars, pestilences, famines, um, peace being taken from the earth, violence, an increase of lovelessness, an increase toward lawlessness. Absolutely 100% true. We see every one of those things trending in the wrong direction, do we not? Yes. Okay? But... Jesus is very specific in Matthew 24. He says, when you see all these things. See, when you see all these things, lift up your heads and look because your, redempt- your, your redemption draws near. I don't think that we've gotten to a place yet where we've seen them all. And one key thing there that he says is you're going to see a rise in false prophets everywhere. Now it depends on how you define false prophet, right? Because <laughs> if, you're, if you're thinking false prophet in terms of just you know a lot of the, the religious leaders that we see today that are... They're kind of given more TED Talks and you know self help and wellness type sermons that could be you know false prophets. there's a lot of them out there, but I don't think we're there yet. I think we're getting there, but I don't think we're there yet. Does that make sense? Okay, all right, okay, uh, so we'll talk a little bit more about some of those things later, but um, the tabernacle. anybody know? First off, take your Bibles and turn to the book of Exodus, because we're going to be in Exodus uh, for, for a little while as we look at this. Um, without looking, how long is the book of Exodus? Anybody know? I'll give you a Hershey kiss if you win. I'm kidding. Huh? How, how, oh, you're already there. Yeah, you'd be cheating. Anybody know? Okay, 40 chapters. Okay, Exodus is, is 40 chapters long. How many chapters would you guess... You don't have to know this, but how many chapters would you guess in the book of Exodus is devoted to the Ten Commandments? One chapter? Anybody? One or two, right? <clears throat> Most of us would probably agree with that. The answer is one. There is one chapter uh, <clears throat> devoted to the, to the Ten Commandments. How many chapters would you guess is devoted to the tabernacle? 39. <laughs> 39? 39? That was low. That was cheap. No. Uh, actually, what, what, what you find is, is that from chapter 24 on is all about the tabernacle. Isn't that fascinating? Mm-hmm. I find that fascinating. Because you think about the law. You think, oh, well, the law. That, that would be what, you know the Ten Commandments. That would be way more important, right? But it only gets one chapter. Whereas the tabernacle gets many, 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 many chapters. Um, And it's it's devoted to every detail of this construction. I mean, God is. It's kind of like when God gave the instructions to build Noah's Ark, right? He gave a pretty detailed uh, um, set of blueprints. Well, this is even more detailed. What you're going to find is He's going to tell them everything. He's going to tell them what materials to use. He's going to tell them how big it is. He's going to tell them um, which materials to use where. He's going to tell them what shape they should be in. He's going to tell them how to decorate it. He's going to. I mean, literally every facet of this building this structure is going to be laid out by God. Now you think, okay, why would the Bible... I mean, the Bible is about making sure we know who God is, right? Making sure that, that we know how to be saved. Like, we think that's the most important thing. So we have to ask ourselves the question, if the Holy Spirit is devoting that much time to an object, giving you that much detail... Well, then there has to be something there. Would you, would you agree? Maybe a little bit more there than meets the eye. And that's what I want to argue with you this morning, that there's more there that meets the eye. This structure is mysterious. It's incredible for a lot of reasons. Um, Charlton Heston. You might remember the old, um, what was the ten? It was Ten Commandments, wasn't it? Ten Commandments. So, you know, Charlton Heston goes up there, and he, he, you, know, you see the thunder and the lightning and everything, and it's just one of my favorite old movies, you know, when I grew up watching. But, but I think Charlton Heston kind of blew it a little bit, because when he comes down from the mountain, he's holding two tablets of stone. But after I read Exodus, here's how I envision in my mind, what you should probably envision in your, in your mind, is that over here he's carrying two tablets of stone, and over here he's got blue, blue plants wrapped up under his arm. <laughs> right? Because when he comes down to you, he comes down with all of it, okay? And one of the things he comes down to is with a set of blueprints. Um, we're going to discover that, first of all, <clears throat> the Holy Spirit, again, has gone through 16 chapters uh, of this. Describing how it was built, how big, again, what materials it was using. It uses how it is to be set up, how it is to be taken down, how it is to be carried How it is to be worshiped in, what kind of clothes you wear when you go inside of this thing. Again, the details are extravagant. Uh, The reason why I'm telling you this is because what I'm recommending to you is that over the next few weeks, you might go ahead and read ahead on this. Um, Read Exodus chapter 24 through 40 if you want to to go ahead and read ahead of us. Read up on all the stuff you can on the tabernacle, man. There's those all kinds of good books out there. There are several good books out there that look at the typology between the tabernacle and Christ. I'm not going to be exhaustive in this study. There's no way. Um, I mean, we could just go so long. But my plan is to go through the tabernacle and show you just some of the um, some of the key highlights, okay? Um, but I think it's it's probably one of the more fascinating studies of the Bible because what you're going to discover is every single detail of this object points to Jesus in some way. It's a rehearsal for the Jews to get them ready for Jesus Christ. Now, 2,000 years ago they missed it. Now, one day they are not. But, but for now, that's the point that I want to make. The tabernacle is full of Christ typology. So, let's jump in. Um, a few scriptures that I think it's going to be really important to remember as we get into this. Acts 17 verse 11. It says, Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. This is the Scripture in the Bible that tells you do not believe a single thing Tim Brown says. Amen? Don't believe anything I say. Go to the Bible. Know it for yourself. Because guess what? I've been studying the Bible for a long time, but I don't have it all down. Right? Do you? I don't have it all down either. So there may be some things that I'm off on. So it's up to us all to make sure that we're good Bereans and go to the scriptures and make sure that we see whether these things are so. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16: all scripture is given by inspiration of God. That's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Now, many will argue that, that this couldn't have included the New Testament because the New Testament wasn't written by the time of Paul. And, uh, and I, I get what people are saying when they say that, but I disagree because we are 2,000 years removed and not a single one of us look back and say, Paul's writings are not Scripture, right? So, even though I understand it is talking about the Old Testament, now as a Christian looking back, I realize that the whole Bible is profitable, right? For instruction, for righteousness, instruction and in righteousness. You say, well, Tim, how is studying you know, 16 chapters of the tabernacle going to help me with instructions and in righteousness? This sounds like it's going to be a boring study. Walk with me. Because I promise you as we walk this journey you are going to begin to see things that you didn't see before. And you are going to begin to hear things that you didn't hear before. And I believe it is going to start speaking to some things in your spirit that that will excite you. Um, Romans 15 verse 4, For whatsoever things were written aforetime. This was written aforetime, right? Okay. So whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. Um, Hosea, chapter 12, verse 10. I spoke to the prophets and gave them many visions and told parables through them. The word there for parables, it um, it means similitudes, pictures, types, um, one of the things that you, again, discover about God is that He likes to use pictures and symbols all throughout the Scriptures. And what the Bible tells you in Hosea is that one of the ways that God likes to speak is He likes to put things into pictures. Why? So you'll search them out. So you'll search them out. He, he wants you to be interested. And so what God will do is he will, he will give you a little bit of the mystery so that He can whet your appetite and draw you in. And as He draws you in, You get to encounter God in a a new and unique way. Isn't that fascinating? So, I'm going to argue as we get into this that the tabernacle is one of the biggest pictures, models that we have in all of the Bible. Okay, now before we get into this uh, and look at the architecture itself, I want to note a few things about the tabernacle. Um, Let's see. Alan, did you say the next slide is the video? Okay, I'm just going to go ahead and show that really quick. I found this little video on YouTube and I thought it was great. Um most of us growing up in church, we kind of know what the Tabernacle is. We kind of know what the main items are in the Tabernacle. But I want to kind of just show this video and it'll kind of give you a quick overview of the of the items and the the the, the what the Tabernacle looks like, okay? Let's see here. Yeah. There we go.
2: If you want to learn more about the Tabernacle of Moses or the team who created this incredible 3D model, click on the links on the left. Also make sure to subscribe and click the bell icon.
0: There we go. The tabernacle, I want to suggest to you as we, as we go through this that there are at least, there could be more, but there are at least four levels of meaning behind the tabernacle. The first is the simplest. What was the tabernacle's purpose? What was the tabernacle's purpose? Present. Worship. Worship. Presence of God. It was to be a physical location on the earth that would house the holiness of God, the presence of God, and this would be the central location, right, where you would come to worship the one true God upon the earth. That's the first level of meaning. What you also find is when you get into the New Testament is that the tabernacle is also used as a picture, particularly by the Apostle Paul, as a picture of Jesus, right? Jesus is the temple. You might remember when Jesus uh, was in that same context in, uh, in, in, in the, at the temple in Jerusalem. He says, tear this temple down and in three days I'll do what? I'll build it back. Was He referring to the physical one? No. no. He was referring to His body. So, He likens the temple to His body. And you're going to see there are several verses in the Bible that equate the temple with Jesus Christ. And then you turn a little further into the New Testament and there's another picture. This is another meaning that the temple has. And that is the body of Christ. Right, Because you and I have the Holy Spirit inside of us. And so Paul says you are a temple of God. So it matters how we live our lives. It matters whether we live a holy life or not. It matters how we treat other people. Why? Because we have God's presence now living inside of us. So that's a third level of meaning that the temple has. And then the fourth level of meaning, this one is the one that gets into mysterious territory a little bit. But, but I'm also going to argue that the temple becomes a picture Of our life. Not only is it referring to God, not only is it a picture of Jesus, not only is it a picture of the church, but it's also a picture of me and you. Because what you're going to discover is that the way to move forward into the presence of God in your personal, devotional, spiritual life requires sacrifice on the outside, devotion to the Spirit and the Word and prayer on the inside. And through those things, you get ushered into the very presence of God. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? Okay, we're going to just unravel these. And so let's go ahead and start looking at this uh, first one right here, God's dwelling place. The temple, uh, the tabernacle is God's dwelling place. One of, the, one of the really interesting things about the tabernacle is that it's a copy. Now, does that ring a bell to anybody? When I say it's a copy, does that make sense? I'm wondering if anybody. Okay, yes? How so? That's right. That's right. And this is where it gets so exciting to me because this is not just a man made object that, that Moses and his ingenuity for memories that he had while he was in Egypt said, you know what, I think I'm going to make it like this. No, 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 no. I want you to take your Bibles. I want you to turn over to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. And I'd like somebody, if you would, nice and loud, who has the microphone? Who's got the mic? Okay. Uh, Can I get a volunteer to read verses 18 through 20? And raise your hand nice and big, and we'll have you read for us. Okay? He'll get it over here. Yes, sir. 18
2: through um, eighteen
0: through 20 for now.
2: Therefore, even the first covenant was not inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment had been spoken by Moses to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of the calves and of the goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop And sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God commanded you. And in the same way,
0: keep going, that's fine.
2: And in the same way, he sprinkled both the tabernacle and all the vessels, the ministry with the blood.
0: And would you go ahead and read to verse 23 while you read it? Okay.
2: And according to the law, one. One may almost say all things are cleansed with blood, and without shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. Therefore, it was necessary for the copies of the things in the heavens to be cleansed with, with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Okay,
0: thank you very much. Okay, what's it saying there? Right. So, so when they built this tabernacle, when Moses is up on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments, he's seeing an opening right into the throne room of God. He sees this thing, but he sees it in its ultimate sense. Does that make sense? He sees the higher reality of the actual tabernacle that, that dwells in heaven, which makes sense now uh, why on the earth, the, they're using the blood of bulls and goats, right? Because that's that's what we have here, but it's not adequate, right? It's it's again, it's a picture. It's it's a picture of something. There has to be uh, there has to be sacrifice. There has to be atonement that's made before you can even approach and come into this. And and so the tabernacle made with human hands here is a model of this true reality that exists up in heaven. Um, and, and so to me, again, that's just one of the most fascinating things is that people will say, well, how can God dwell in a temple on the earth? Well, that's not the point. That temple was a picture. You say, well, God didn't dwell in there? No, He did. He did dwell in there, but it was also a picture. Does that make sense? It's a representation of a heavenly reality up on the earth. And one of the things that you realize as you read all throughout the scriptures is that God does that all the time. There are physical, earthly representations of heavenly realities, guess what one of the biggest ones on the earth is? You. (laughs) You were created to be an earthly representation of a heavenly reality. That's why. Because it says you were created in the image of God. Right? So it's the same kind of idea. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read uh, verse 25 on. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once for all the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and after that face the judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Amen? Okay. So the first representation of it is that it's just that it's the physical location on the earth for the presence of God. Um, Alan, how much time do we have? A few minutes? Two or three minutes? Okay, good. Go ahead, Roxanne. Sorry. Okay, I'm going to steal a line from Alan. Uh-oh. This
1: is like we live in a three-dimensional world. Yeah. How do we describe that world to someone who lives in a two dimensional world? Yeah. So we're in a three dimensional world. How does God describe a fourth or fifth or sixth dimension world to us? That's right. Except with the things that are of the third dimension that we live in. Yeah. Okay, that went real sci fi bit anyway.
0: No, no, I totally get it. So like yeah. you know, imagine if this was the plane of existence right here, right? Yeah. That's two dimensions. There's no third one to it whatsoever. But I'm a three-dimensional being up here. Now, what's a two-dimensional person look like? It's a stick figure, right? It's a stick figure. So if I'm here and I'm God, and I'm three dimensions and I'm talking to two, I'm trying to describe to them to give them an idea of who I am. So I put my hand in. Whoosh! (laughs) Hello! Here I am. What do they see? They see a line. They say, look at the holy line. The divine line has come and appeared to us. (laughs) And I was like, no, I'm not a line. I'm a person. I have three dimensions. And they, they go, what's that? You know, they have no idea. And so then they divide. Then they got denominations. This one over here thinks it's this. <laughs> this one over here thinks it's this. And so you have the church of that and the church of this. Um, but the point that you're trying to make, I think, is, is that now take that the other way. And here, here you have a God that's beyond dimensionality. You know, the, the scientists tell us there's 13 at least, 12 or 13 dimensions, Who knows? But even if you can even begin to fathom that, here you have a God that exists outside of all those trying to have a relationship with us. And the tabernacle is a picture. And I think that you're hitting the nail on the head because that's why God uses pictures. Because we can't comprehend Him. We can't comprehend Him. We can't comprehend heavenly realities. Paul says, when I went up there, he says, I saw things, I I, I can't even talk about it. (laughs) Can't even talk about it. Whether he... Could not because it was prohibited or could not because he had no idea how to put it into words for human beings. I don't know what it is. But the point is the tabernacle is a picture to communicate higher realities. Okay? Very good. Um, Are we out of time? We are out of time. Okay. So I wrote this and I was thinking, okay, I'm thinking I'll be able to probably do about six pages of notes. We got through three. Three. Okay. Um, Next week we're going to look at how Christ is modeled through the tabernacle. So, if you want to look that up, just look up scriptures, um, take a concordance or whatever, and look up the scriptures where Paul uh, describes Jesus and he uses the illustration of the tabernacle. Okay? Amen? Okay. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the time that we've had this morning. Um, Thank You that we get to go into Your Word and to, to just look a little deeper at some things that don't get looked at very much. And so, I pray, Father, that that in lieu of wanting to have a devotional thought to take home, I realize that we're building up something big here. Um, I pray that we would just take home the simple truth that at no matter what stage of redemptive history, whether we're talking about the tabernacle or whether we're talking about the temple or whether we're talking about Christ or whether we're talking about the Holy Spirit dwelling in the body of Christ or in us, the point, I think, in all of it is that you are a God who desires to be with us. You are a God who desires to to let us dwell with you and be in your presence and, and help us to remember that that is the reason for the tabernacle because you desire to tabernacle with us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you all.